As Jeremy said, we're looking at uh, the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I, sh I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Good afternoon, everyone. Really good to see you here today. If you're watching online, welcome as well. My name's Nathan, and I'm also on the staff team here at Trinity. Good to see everyone doing the actions. I feel that maybe during the pandemic when we're not allowed to sing and mask, I think we're just glad to get involved in any way we could. So it's very impressive some of the actions there for the song. Well, let me ask you at the beginning of this talk, what unites these three people that you see on the screen? Chris Whitty, Marcus Rashford, and the Queen. You see them there? I wonder what you think joins all of those three people together. Could be a number of things, and they probably all face opposition, they've probably all got their opponents in different ways. But I think one thing that, that unites each one of them is that they, they have a consistency of character. They're consistent in not just saying things and words, but, but actually that being backed up as well in their lives, in their actions. So Chris Whitty, apparently, um, as well as the government briefings and all those kind of things, was in the wards over Christmas, in the COVID wards as a doctor getting to work. It's pretty consistent, isn't it? Or uh, Marcus Rashford, again, all, all his work kind of publicly, but also helping at his local food bank. And the Queen, whatever you think of the monarchy after this week and, and all that's gone on in the news, for her life, as many would say, she's, she's served this country consistently. And we applaud that, don't we? But, but yet we're quick to, to point out when people aren't consistent often rightly so. So a CEO of a charity who pockets the money, lots of money on the side illegally, we would say, no, that's not right, inconsistent. Or an MP with their expense scandals. We say, no, that's not right, you're supposed to serve and yet you're doing this. Maybe a church leader who says one thing from the front, 
and is involved and embroiled in a scandal, we would say, no, that's, that's inconsistent. It's not right. And this book of James that we've just heard being read to us by, by Adam, it's, it's a book that we've been looking through as a church. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ, a man called James. And he's writing to Christians, first century believers. But he's really concerned for them that they are double-minded. That's a big theme in this book that we've been talking about. That is that they have a torn allegiance between the Christian faith that they say they profess, but then the life that they live that's inconsistent. They say they believe in God, believe in Jesus, but actually their lives don't show that. They look like they're living as if Jesus didn't really exist. And we might say, well, why does that matter? Is, is, is that really that big a deal? James later on in his book, in the verse that we see here, says, no, it is a big deal. At the end of chapter five, he says this, let me just read briefly. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Double-mindedness really matters, James says, because, well, actually, it's matters of life and death. I wonder if you're here today or you're watching online as part of Tryout Church Sunday and you think, this is a bit full-on, isn't it? This is a bit intense, a bit hard-hitting. And, yeah, it is, isn't it? Maybe you've got the idea from, from church sermons that you've experienced in the past or kind of, watched on on tv you know a sermon in church is a cringy joke at the beginning don't get me wrong i've got plenty of those in the locker but a cringy joke at the beginning some nice thoughts and mention god along the way and then we call it a day and we'll go home but actually the message of this book of james the message of the bible is is so much more than that it's life-changing it's matters of life and death and look, if you're new to these things today and you just heard this reading, I wonder how open-minded you are. See what you think of what this author of the Bible says, whether it stacks up, whether it makes sense of life. Well, the big question we're thinking about today is, is the question that came in that very first verse. And it's this question, what kind of faith saves? That's a big question, one big question we've really addressed. What kind of faith saves? Let me read from verse 14 again. Verse 14 says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have a faith but has no deeds? Or another way of asking the question in verse 14, can such faith save them? James it starts with two rhetorical questions that expect the answer no. Um, so it's a bit like me saying, um, can Brighton and Hove Albion win the Premier League? We know the answer is no. It doesn't need to be said. Sorry, Jeremy, even though they won today. Or, or is it wise if my son plays with fire? No, we, we know the answer. And that's the same here. The answer no to, the answer no to this, this question that he's asking forces us then to ask a crucial question. What kind of faith is it that does save? I don't know if, um, if someone maybe pulled you to the side, don't worry, no one's going to do this today, and ask you, what, what's the message of the Bible in a few words, or, or in a sentence? I, I wonder what you would say, whether you would have an answer for that. You could get, say a number of different things, but, but one of them really, getting to the heartbeat of the Bible's story, would be that it's the story of how humans are saved. 
rescued from well, eternal judgment, eternal death, for eternal life, for wonderful relationship with God. That's really at the heart of the, the Bible story. That's what Jesus has in his mind. And so if there's a kind of faith that can save and one that can't, can you see how crucial it is that we make sure we've got the right kind of faith and that we know what kind of faith it is that's bogus? And that's what we'll really be thinking about today. So there's going to be two bits we'll look at, negative and then positive. And the first, the negative, is this. What kind of faith saves? Not a bogus faith without deeds. James starts off with an example in verse 15. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's important then to see here, it's a, it's a fellow Christian, it's a brother or sister, and you see that they're in real need, not the sort of hidden needs that you can't really see or tell on a Sunday, but real needs, trying to draw cash, you know, tenor from the cash points to buy dinner and it's coming up blank, nothing comes back. Or wearing a kind of clothes that in, in winter that suggest that they can't even afford a hoodie or a, a winter coat. They're in real need and you know it. What good is it, James, to say, well, go in peace, keep warm, <laughs> well fed, or AKA, goodbye and good luck with life, maybe a chuck in a God bless as well, and you move on in life. What, what good is that? It's no good. James spells it out in verse 17 for us even more clearly. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I know we've got a few maths teachers here in, in church, or former maths teachers. If you like equations, faith minus deeds equals dead. That's what James says. And so if it's just words, bless you, go in peace. That sounds quite religious, doesn't it? Spiritual pious. But actually ignores the physical needs of the person right in front of you in church. That kind of faith, devoid of love and care, is, is not just immature or not ideal. James says it's, it's useless, it's bogus. It's dead. But then he imagines that there's an imaginary arguer in verse 18. He says to James, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Imagine that at, at Trinity here. Someone says, oh, I'm a treasurer kind of person. I'm a finance kind of person and I... That's how I show my faith, and, and other people will show it in other ways, but I'm that kind of person. Or someone says, look, I'm a Bible teacher, I'm a Bible study leader, that's the kind of faith, that's, that's my thing. Other people can do the loving stuff and, you know, the action and, and care kind of thing. Everyone's different, that's my thing, that's someone else's. Well, James says no. Faith, it always produces deeds, because saving faith shows and he goes further than that. Did you say it's not just mental kind of ascent of the right doctrines or the right belief? If it's just that, we're no better than the demons, James says. 
the demons uh, come up a little bit in the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And actually, often these demons understood who God Jesus was before the, the very disciples that were there with him did. It's like embarrassing for the disciples. No better than the demons. At least they shuddered and they're going to hell, James says. See, a bogus faith without deeds, it can't save you. Post, uh, as Jeremy mentioned at the beginning, it's nearly 12 months, isn't it, since the first lockdown. And uh, there might be a few of us that, um, I'm not looking at anyone when I'm saying this, but there might be a few of us that feel we need to start going to the gym after we're, you know, the lockdown lifts and we're allowed to, to do that. I might be one of those people. And I read something a bit scary this, this week. I, I'm sure that you can make up lots of statistics, but I did read this online and it said that 63% of people who have a gym membership never use it. I, that can't be true, can it? But anyway, that was the stat this week. 63% I read of people get a gym membership out and it goes completely unused. Maybe you're one of those people and you're sort of looking down a little bit at this moment. <laughs> but it reminded me of a mate of mine from uni called uh, Nick. It's called Nick. And um, even though he was a student, he belonged to the Virgin Active Gym that was quite close to where we were. 60, 65 quid a month, probably the student loan paying for that. And um, there was a bit of a running joke with Nick that, not just behind his back, but to his face as well, because he only ever went to the gym to use the sauna, <laughs> okay? Apparently he liked the towels, that's what he said. Fair enough, Virgin Active towels are, are nice, but that was the only reason he went. And he, he had the membership card. He went to the induction showing all the nice shiny new equipment. He had signed the terms and conditions, but it was a bogus belonging. It wasn't accompanied by any action. Could call it virgin inactive. I told you I've got a few cheesy jokes that I could use. But he, it wasn't a real joke. What was he doing? And James challenges us in the same way in the, in the world of faith. He's challenging people here who are nominal and comfortable, you could say. I don't know, I think we need to do it, Charlotte and I, when we get home. But um, the census today, is the day legally where we have to do it. So just a reminder when you go home uh, to do the census. And, and 10 years ago, the last census, I don't know if you knew, but 59.3% of people in the UK tick the box Christian. It's quite a lot of people, isn't it? 60% nearly, uh, not quite as many people as the, the people that don't go to the gym, but 60% but of people in this country said that they were Christian. And look, I'm in no position to, to judge people's hearts and their lives as they tick that box. It strikes me that many people would, would tick that box, though, and in a way that sort of says, look, me and God are tight. We're okay. But actually, they say zero obedience to anything that God says. Zero change. And James would say that's a bogus faith. That's a wrong type of faith, and that leads to eternal death. That's not my words. That's James's words here in the Bible. But I think as well, it's, it's a trick challenge to, to Trinity regulars here who we might know the right answers we know the right things to say the right things not to say we know the Bible's true but we, we just keep it at arm's length we don't let it affect us it's purely intellectual it doesn't change our heart and we need to hear this as a warning from James because faith always leads to obedience to change because saving faith shows you can't have a, an armchair sort of Christianity or, or a virgin active gym membership. Oh, I've, I've got the card, 
but we just go to the sauna in terms of our faith. And actually, as a church at Trinity, we, we can't just be a, a Bible-believing church full stop. But we want to be a Bible-believing church that, that, with God's help, lets that impact our lives, where we obey God's words. A particular focus for James here on, on Christians who are among us, who are struggling materially, a focus on the poor. We need to make sure that we don't just say the right words or nice words. Go in peace, bless you, God bless. But actually it makes a difference in terms of practical help and, and deeds. We've only been at Trinity here about 18 months or something like that. But I've loved in that time seeing this at work. I've loved seeing and hearing about people giving clothes to for people who are struggling or don't have the money to buy new clothes. I've loved seeing just in the last couple of weeks, people cooking food for someone for, for a week or so who's just had a major operation so that they don't have to order takeaways every night. I've loved seeing or, or hearing about people who uh, are between tenancies or between flats and people have said, oh, come and crash on my sofa or on our spare spare room at our house and seeing this at work that's a really positive sign james would say because saving faith shows there's a consistency to it so what kind of faith saves well first of all not a bogus faith without deeds but more positively and the second thing a saving faith producing deeds we need to ask what does that kind of saving faith look like and we're given two bits of evidence from the Bible's history, from the Old Testament and the Bible. Two positive examples of this kind of faith that saves. First example then is of a man called Abraham. He's a big name in the Bible if you've never come across him before. And let's see what we uh, were shown about him in verse 21. It says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. What it does here then is, is takes us back to Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, chapter 15, where God makes a promise to this man, Abraham. Abraham was old and he didn't have any kids. Yet God said to him, look, look in the sky, look at the stars. You can't count them, there's so many, and I'm going to give you this many descendants. Your offspring will be like the stars in the sky. And Abraham, we're told in Genesis 15, believed God and he was counted righteous. That means he was saved because he believed the promise that God had made him. But then James skips to another story, familiar story in Genesis 22, probably the most shocking commandment in the whole Bible, where this very son who was going to produce the offspring, God said, sacrifice your son, Isaac. As a father, I can't comprehend that command. Yet God was so convinced of, of the promise, sorry, Abraham, I should say, was so convinced of the promise that he was willing to obey God and sacrifice his very own son. which, by the way, he didn't have to do. God stepped in before that happened. You'll be glad to know. But the point James is making is where there is real faith, there will be an outworking in deeds, in your life, in obedience. I wonder if we just close the door at the back just because uh, it's 
my notes have been thrown slightly. Thank you. But as we're hearing this, I wonder if you're maybe slightly through the sermon a little bit uncomfortable with what you're hearing. Because one of the most basic things about Christianity that we've got to know, and many of us do know, one of the most basic things is that we're, we're made right with God. We're saved, not because of what we do, but because of what God has done. Christianity is not spelt D-O, but D-O-N-E. So it's not about what we do. So giving money to church, giving stuff to charity, coming to church, praying a certain amount of times. That is not what makes us right with God. We've got to know that. Rather, it's about what God has done in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on a cross so that we might be forgiven. It's a done religion, not a do kind of religion. And that's wonderful. And Paul, another writer in the New Testament, would agree with that. Should be coming up on the screen where he says this. He says, we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. See what he's saying? Faith is what saves us, not by being a good person or by obeying the law. But then James comes along here and he says something that sounds potentially a bit awkward. He says this. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And people look at these two verses and say, ah, the Bible is full of contradictions. James and Paul, well, there's an early church power struggle between them. Which one's right? The Bible contradicts itself. Does it? What do we say? Let me say two brief, brief things that shows that it doesn't contradict itself. One, the audience that James and Paul, these two different people in the New Testament are writing to. See, Paul is writing to a bunch of people who, who think that if they're really good people, that if they do everything right, then they will be made right with God, that they will be saved. James, on the other hand, is writing to people who, who have that kind of Christian armchair thing. Well, I'm saved. I'm right with God. doesn't really mean I need to do anything. The audience is different between the two. But both James and Paul as well in the New Testament agreed on the order that it becomes root first and then fruit. What do I mean by that? Well, root is that we are saved by faith alone, full stop. That is the root. But always when there is genuine faith, it will lead to fruits. That is deeds of obedience, change in your life. So James in chapter one said that the gospel seed has been planted in it. But, but if that has happened in you, and the gospel has changed you, well, it will produce fruit, deeds of obedience. That always takes place. And Paul would say the same. Martin Luther, he was a 16th century uh, reformer. He put it wonderfully like this. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Does that make sense? We're saved by faith alone, but if it's real faith, it's always going to lead to change. It's going to lead to obedience. I remember seeing a, an example of this a few years ago, a friend of mine called Natalie. And, um, and Natalie, um, a friend of mine, she'd been coming along to church for a little while. She wasn't a Christian, didn't call herself particularly religious or Christian or anything like that. And, um, but after a few months, she, she started to get sort of take it a bit more seriously and, and listen to what the Bible was saying. And she started calling herself a Christian. And one of the ways that I, I saw that this had really changed her was she told me a story about when she lived with a few, um, few housemates and they had overpaid on a, on a bill, British gas or something like that. 
And those wonderful letters that you get back from them or emails saying, oh, rebate, 60 quid coming back into your account. Brilliant. It doesn't really happen much to me, but it's nice when it does happen. But Natalie at the time thought, well, do you know, I always pick up the bill. I always do all the admin in this house. So I'm, I'm just going to keep this money that's come back. And I'm not going to tell my housemates about it because, well, they never do any work and they never know. But when she had become a Christian, when she had put her roots down into believing in Jesus by faith alone, she thought, do you know what, I've got to put that right. I know it happened a couple of years ago, but I'm going to text my old housemates, I don't live with them anymore, and let them know that I owe them 12 quid or 15 quid or whatever it is each. No one had told her to do that, but that faith in Jesus, that genuine faith, I led her to want to change and put it right. Because saving faith shows. Showed with Abraham, and much more briefly, it showed with Rahab. She was mentioned in verse 25. And do you know what? Rahab and Abraham, they couldn't be much, much more different. Uh, Abraham was a Jew, a patriarch, and Rahab was a non-Jew. She had been a prostitute, we're told, in her former life. But yeah, she's an example of someone who was also saved... And we see an example of, of deeds that were produced in her life by faith. Don't have time to go into it later now, but you can read the story in Joshua chapter 2. And she had heard about God. She had believed in God, put faith in him. And that showed in the way that she helped two of God's people escape from their enemies by using a rape from her window. It's a dramatic story in the Bible. It's good in some kids' story Bibles. She had, she had had a rope from her window and she led these two guys to escape. She, she risked her, her life for it. Because her faith showed the root produced fruit. And so I wonder just here today, are you claiming to be a Christian, but showing zero evidence of that in your life? Or like Abraham and Rahab, are there signs of obedience, signs of change in your life? Humbly accepting the words, living it out. Look, I'm aware, even as I'm saying this today, that this might sound a bit painful. Perhaps this sermon has been painful because you realise that, that the kind of faith that you have is, is the bogus faith without deeds. It might be painful, but it could just be the wake up, the very wake up that we desperately need. Do you remember I said we're talking about matters of life and death, James says? And so if that is you today, do send me an email or chat to me afterwards or someone that you know here at church. But I'm aware that there will be some of us here who are Christians who have a, sen a sensitive and tender conscience. And I don't want you to mishear this. Look, all of us can be inconsistent, can't we, in our lives? We, we, we grow as a Christian and, and produce fruit in our lives. And then we seem to take three steps backwards. And especially in a lockdown like this, we can perhaps be more inward looking, all of us, than we normally would be in terms of deeds that we would want to show in our lives. But God wonderfully does give us his, his Holy Spirit, we're told, that, that helps us change. We're not left on our own, but he, he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us change. We'll see that next week in, in the way that our speech can change. We can see our actions, our priorities. But I wonder just today whether maybe in your life is there an obedience gap, we could say. 
where there's something that you say or you profess, but your life is just completely inconsistent. Where, can you ask the Holy Spirit to help you change where there is that obedience gap? And again, if you're not a Christian and, and you're here today, I'm, I hope there's been something here for you to, to listen to and engage with. And I hope as well that you can glimpse the attractiveness of a consistent kind of Christian faith. It's been the case in the past in this country with people like William Wilberforce, a Christian man who was very involved in the abolition of slavery, the root leading to fruit. Or Christians in the past who have set up orphanages and schools and hospitals, their faith has led them to produce that kind of fruit and good deeds in their life. Do Christians get it wrong? Yeah. Have Christians maybe let you down in your life? Maybe. And I'm really sorry for when that has been the case. But in our best moments, Christians want to point you to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the most consistent man to ever have lived on this earth. He was someone who said, love your enemies, and actually did that. And prayed for them, even as he was dying on the cross. He was someone who said, love your enemies. Sorry, love your neighbours. And he did love his neighbours. He was someone who said no to favouritism and showed that in the way that he lived. Hanging out with the kind of people that no one else wanted to go near. And so Jesus Christ is a saviour. He is the one that saves. And so when we failed, when we have been inconsistent, we can come to him. He's a saviour. But we can also look to him as a model of someone who perfectly lived this life of obedience out. And more than that, we can come to him as one who gives us his Holy Spirit to help us to change and live lives that are consistent. I'm just going to leave a few moments before I pray and then Rachel's going to come up, I think, and lead us continuing in prayer. Lord God, it's a really unattractive picture of a kind of um, faith that, that is bogus and doesn't lead to kind of any, any kind of action. But it's a really attractive picture when a, a genuine faith does lead to change and good deeds and fruit in our lives. And we want to be the kind of people who our faith is genuine, the kind of faith that saves and produces good deeds and good fruit in our lives. Lord, I'm sorry for the times in my life where I haven't shown that kind of consistency, where I haven't produced those good deeds, and I'm sorry for that. But I pray that we will be those kind of people. And I pray, if we're listening in today as well, not a, as a Christian, I pray that we would want to engage with these things and, and really see what kind of faith it is that saves and investigate these things further. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.